Talk Radio. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Theology Matters with the Palouse. I am one half of your hosting duo. I'm Melissa Palouse. My husband, um, Devin, is not on the air with me today, but I do have a special guest who I'm sure um, you will um, learn to love and, and just learn a lot from, so we're very excited um, to have you join us for this episode. Um, for those of you who are listening for the first time who may not be familiar um, with our podcast or with who uh, we are, um, this podcast is dedicated to issues of um, worldview, um, Christian theology, and Christian apologetics. And what we try to do is um, bring on a variety of guests who um, are specialists in, in different fields, various fields, and we have them um, share their knowledge and their study and their experience in that particular field. Um, the goal of this program is to equip the body of Christ um, to be able to um, obviously um, understand what we believe um, in the Christian faith, to have a defense um, for those outside the faith, and to be able to effectively share um, what it is that um, we hold dear and true in the Christian faith with those who have yet to believe it. And so that is our heart, is that um, this show would be used um, uh, however God sees fit to um, strengthen um, those who are listening, whether they are from a Christian background or non-Christian background. But we um, just enjoy, um, we learn a lot during, doing this show um, by bringing on these different guests um, from a variety of different fields, and we try to mix it up quite a bit. Um, and so we um, we are just delighted that you are here with us today. Devin and myself um, are um, chapter directors with um, Ratio Christi Ministry, which is a, a campus apologetics uh, alliance ministry where we are equipping um, Christian uh, college students at Winthrop University um, to be prepared to defend the faith. Um, we also engage skeptic students um, as well as train Christian faculty in apologetics and to defend the faith. So um, the, the ministry is, is uh, multifaceted um, as well as some outreach to the community um, with apologetics ministry and to the church. So um, uh, we also have a youth ministry. And so we're, we're pretty busy here in uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina, um, right outside of Charlotte, and um, love doing this. And um, apologetics is pretty much our life. That is our ministry. That's what God has called us to. We see the importance of it. We see it change lives. And so um, we just seek any avenue that we can to share the message of God's truth with those um, who are open to hearing it. So that is the reason this, this, um, that this podcast does exist. And so feel free to subscribe, share, um, listen, uh, shoot us messages, and we're always um, happy to interact with you um, after the show as well. Um, so uh, we um, are, again, excited to have you join us. And um, today is very special because I have a friend of mine um, with us today as a guest. So um, I know that um, uh, we have um, been, we've had uh, her on the show before, but this is um, exciting because we're going to be discussing a new venture that she has worked on and that I followed her work on. And I know that she has put a lot of time and effort and energy into this new project and um, that it is going to be a blessing to all. Um, we have with us today uh, Melissa Kane Travis. Um, Melissa, um, is an assistant professor of Christian apologetics at Houston Baptist University. 
Um, she serves um, on the contributing writer, uh, writer's team at Christian Research Journal, um, which is uh, a fabulous journal if you have not subscribed to that. Um, she earned a Master's of Art in Science and Religion from Biola University, um, as well as a Bachelor of Science in Biology from Campbell University. She's currently pursuing a PhD in Humanities. Her research um, focusing on the, um, on the history and philosophy of science and the historical interaction of science and theology. Um, Melissa worked in biotechnology and pharmaceutical research um, for five years after obtaining her undergrad degree and has spent more than a decade studying the science, theology, and philosophy pertaining to the origins debate. So she is well-versed um, in this topic that we're going to be discussing today, which is her newest book, um, which will be releasing actually one week from today. It is entitled Science and the Mind of the Maker, What the Conversation Between Faith and Science Reveals About God. And I have my advanced copy, and um, it is a wonderful resource and tool. So um, we're going to discuss that resource and how it can benefit you. And hopefully you will um, get it as well, and, and it will help you um, as you have dialogues about um, science and faith and God. So, um, Melissa, are you there with us? I'm here. Thank you. Wonderful. I'm very, very excited to have you on. Um, as I mentioned, um, you, you are a friend and someone who I learned quite a bit from, and um, I know how much um, work you put into this book and how much work you put into your studies, and you have so much going on. And so um, the fact that you would take the time to come on and um, share with us and to share with our listeners uh, means a whole lot to us here um, and to Devin as well. Uh, well, I'm grateful for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to talk with you guys. Oh, absolutely. So um, now before we jump into this book, um, I know that you have bef uh, previously you have written um, children's apologetic series, and um, we have we have those and we use those in our family. So I wanted to, uh, maybe you share about those and um, before we jump into the, the newest venture here. Sure. So when I was still doing my master's work at Biola, I was having conversations with my older son, who at the time was seven years old. And he was bringing up some of the big questions that we don't expect younger kids to think of, um, really. Like, how do we know that God's real? And how do we know that these things that we read in the Bible are actually true and not made up like fairy tale stories? So mm -hmm. it inspired me to write Christian apologetics at a level that younger children would not only understand, but be intrigued by. So my idea was that I would frame certain basic apologetics arguments in fiction stories. So the Young mm -hmm. Defender series was born. It's made up of four different books. The first one's entitled, mm -hmm. How Do We Know God Is Really There?, and it covers a kid-level version of the cosmological argument for the existence of God. The second book, which features the same characters, the same characters in general run through all four books of the series. The second book is entitled, How Do We Know God Created Life? And in this book, my main character, Thomas, is exploring this question of whether or not life is designed 
or if life is just the end product of a long chain of blind cosmic accidents. And then book number Mm -hmm. three is how do we know right from wrong? And Mm -hmm. in this book, Thomas is exploring this idea of our moral conscience and what does it tell us that we know deep down inside that certain things are wrong and certain things are right. And then it progresses into a moral argument for the existence of God. In other words, if there is really such thing as right and such thing as wrong, good or evil, Mm -hmm. then where are we getting that from? And then finally, the fourth book, How Do We Know Jesus is Alive? So the first three books are very much um, about the existence of a transcendent power, but then it culminates in this fourth book because we finally address Christianity specifically. And it's okay. about evidence for the resurrection. So if any of the listeners are familiar with Gary Habermas's approach to the defense of the resurrection, it's known as the minimal facts argument. Basically what I do mm-hmm. is I bring that down to a kid's level and say, okay, let's look at this evidence that we have from history um, that even mm-hmm. skeptical scholars agree is true, and then let's draw the logical conclusion from this evidence. And the the idea is that um, the best explanation is that the resurrection of Jesus really happened in history. So four book series, collectively known as the Young Defenders. Um, I don't know if I'll ever add to the series. It's Uh at this point that idea is kind of, behind the long line of other things I have to do. <laughs> um, but I'm very, I'm very, yeah, I'm very gratified that I still get lovely messages from parents mm-hmm. who are discovering the books for the first time and using them with their kids in a homeschool setting or even just bedtime reading. Um, and mm-hmm. I am so thankful for that. Yeah, well, there are books that, I mean, they can't go out of, um, they're always going to be relevant (laughs) because kids are obviously always going to have questions. And so um, even, you know, however long the series is or however short it is, it will definitely, I know, benefit other families as it has um, our family. Um, And you you mentioned, you know, being busy. And um, I I should have asked you earlier just about your, maybe your family and um, just in in your work. I know you're working on your PhD right now and, and um, that's been um, pretty tedious for you. And um, how is all of that um, fitting into your busy schedule with writing and that as well? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I tell you, I for the past nine years, I have felt like I live in a sort of cave <laughs> because <laughs> first and foremost, you know, taking care of my family. So my husband, Jonathan, mm-hmm. and I have been married. We just had our 20-year anniversary last month. So we've been married 20 years. Mm-hmm. And we have two boys. Our older son turned 15 yesterday, which makes me feel incredibly mm-hmm. old. And then we have mm-hmm. a younger son who's 11 and a half. And we, mm-hmm. do, um, we have homeschooled for their entire um, school career. Um, but the past mm-hmm. couple of years, we've used... Liberty University Online Homeschool Academy for some of their classes, just so that I would not completely lose my mind in the midst of everything. Uh-huh. 
Um, so um, I am teaching very, very part-time at HBU right now. There's no way under heaven I could teach full-time and do all these other things. So very part-time mm-hmm. at HBU right now, but very much enjoying my work there. And um, mm-hmm. I am hopefully only 10 months out from finishing my Ph.D., and then my student years will be behind me for good. <laughs> You come out of that cave, right? Yes, I'll come out of the cave. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the show, I'd like to talk some about, um, you know, maybe for um, for women who are listening um, specifically about some of, um, uh, you know, things that you've learned um, as far as, uh, you know, just the importance of women in apologetics and our um, the benefits of that and maybe even balancing these studies, family, these, these sort of things as well. So we can uh, maybe address some of that in a little bit. So, um but I did want to talk about, I know you specifically, um, your interest is um, on, on the interest, the intersection of uh, Christianity and the natural sciences, and that's um, where you have um, pretty much focused. Um, and I wanted to know um, what inspired that and what inspired your interest in that topic specifically. You know, it's funny because when I first, as an adult, a mom, small children, realized that Mm -hmm. that was a direction God was calling me in as far as ministry and academic work. I was surprised by that turn in my life. But then as the Mm -hmm. years have gone on since then, that was in when I first discerned that calling was in the early 2000s. I enrolled in my master's program in 2009. Um, So some Mm -hmm. years have gone by. Since, since I first mm-hmm. discerned that specific calling. But during those years, mm-hmm. I've been able to look back over um, my life leading up to that point, which felt very much like a turning point. And I realized that I can see little glimmers of this kind of foreshadowing that I would end up here, even as far back as my very early childhood. So when I was mm. seven or eight years old, um, I first became aware of this phenomenon um, in, I guess it was 1983, 84, somewhere around in there, of the Disney Channel. And I was obsessed with the Disney Channel. Well, um, I'm not a fan of their programming these days, but way back then, mm-hmm. the vast majority of what they aired were the classic, iconic Disney feature films. Right. So with all Mm -hmm. the animal characters, Mickey and Minnie and Donald and Daisy and Goofy and Pluto and all the the classic characters. And there was this one feature film that they played a lot, even though it was first released back in the late 1950s. But here it was the 80s and they're showing this 30 minute film called Donald in Math Magic Land. And it just astonished me. I loved it. And to this day, it is my favorite short feature from Disney. But the idea behind the cartoon is that the narrator introduces Donald Mm -hmm. Duck to this idea that the universe we live in is fundamentally rational, that we can see mathematics in nature and in music and all sorts of places. And the film, Mm -hmm. funny enough, ends with this beautiful, famous quote by Galileo where he said, the universe 
is written in the language of mathematics, and that's how we discern that it's the product of a rational creator's handiwork. And here I was, seven or eight years old, and for the first time, a Disney cartoon connected some dots for me that the natural world and the mind of man and the mind of God are somehow very closely related to each other. So that was kind of the glimmer that started it all, I think. Um, and then mm-hmm. going through a, ba- a bachelor's degree program in biology, my love for the sciences really deepened. I had always loved it, um, and it kind of culminated in doing my bachelor's degree. And then it was after graduating college that my husband and I moved away from the rural area in North Carolina where we were from. And for the first time, mm-hmm. we were we were kind of outside the conservative Christian bubble that we both grew up in. Mm-hmm. And here we were in the big city of Houston, Texas. And of course, Texas is conservative. It's in the South. Um, some people mm-hmm. have said it's indeed part of the proverbial Bible belt, but being in the big city and working in mm-hmm. the biotechnology industry for the first time in my entire life at age 23, I was surrounded by people who had a strong background in the sciences but did not share my Christian worldview. And what ended Mm. up happening was as I spent day in and day out in the science lab with these colleagues, of course, um, conversation turned to the big question, religion and politics, Mm -hmm. right? And so I started having these moments that were actually quite humiliating because I would get questioned about my faith and I had no answers for the kinds of challenges Mm -hmm. that were being thrown at me. So Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. God gently, but maybe not so gently getting my attention about um, the inadequacy of my ability to talk with people with, Um, scientific credentials about things of the faith in a way that was engaging for those people. And that's when the the fire was really lit under me about better equipping myself and being able to answer scientific challenges to the faith. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that interesting that um, I hear this story with many of us who um, have dedicated ourselves to apologetics ministry on some level that um, it was through being embarrassed that we kind of got a fire under our belt to go out and learn and um, we kind of just started from from square one (laughs) and so yeah um, I think that I think that's encouraging for people who you know they may see someone like you and they may say well you know wow I could never um, I could never you know get to that level or what have you but that you, there was a point in time where you didn't have the answers yourself, and so um, you know it, it, it's it is encur- well, it's um, it's it's honest, but it's encouraging um, for people who yes, are just I would very much here. hope yes, yes, I would very much hope that people would definitely be encouraged by that because. I have been there and done that. And no matter Mm -hmm. where you are, it's never too late to start. And don't sell yourself short. Um, I have found by talking to other women who 
maybe it's a question that, that one of their children has brought up that they have not been mm-hmm. able to answer. And then they set out on a learning journey and they learn mm-hmm. exactly how fulfilling it is to develop the intellectual dimension of their faith. So it's not, mm-hmm. it not only turns out to benefit um, their children who they're trying to raise up in a confident faith, but it ends up benefiting them um, spiritually as well, which is wonderful. I mean, it's just neat to, neat to see how God weaves those stories together, um, and then particularly in your life, just from, you know, Disney feature film and, and that as well. Um, I love how, how, how he, um, he's so sovereign in that way. Um, in, in terms of science and religion, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a broad topic, obviously. Um, and, you know, you have history, um, philosophy, biology, um, astrophysics. And um, do you have a particular niche that you limit yourself to or limit your work to? Well, I do. I love all of it. So I love mm-hmm. um, how interdisciplinary the the field of science and religion actually is. And I've been through seasons where I'd concentrate a whole lot on one subtopic or another subtopic. But in my PhD program, obviously, I've had to buckle down and really narrow my focus. So right now, um, and probably for quite a few years to come, I'm largely focused on these very interesting problems that the mathematical sciences pose for the worldview of naturalism. And for those listening that may not have heard this word before, naturalism, I'm defining it as the worldview that there's no such thing as God or anything like God. So it turns out that the natural sciences um, are kind of a conundrum for the worldview of naturalism. So I'm Mm -hmm. fascinated by the fact that our universe that we observe has been shown to be fundamentally mathematical. It's, it has a rational order to it that can be described, as Galileo said, in the language of mathematics. And this has very strong implications about the existence of God, and it also has strong implications about the nature of mankind and what kind of relationship that we have with the creator of all things. Um, So that's very much what I'm focused on. Um, I am partial to Johannes Kepler, who was one of the great Mm -hmm. scientists of the scientific revolution and also a devout Christian. Mm -hmm. He plays into my research pretty heavily. So that's what I'm working on right now. All right. I love, I love your approach for sure. And um, I like the the broadness of it um, and yet the specifics of it as well. Um, so, so this new book, Science and the Mind of the Maker, um, the full title, Science and the Mind of the Maker, um, what the conversation between faith and science reveals about God. So that's a mouthful. So tell us about <laughs> um, the title and um, about um, kind of the central thesis of the book. Okay. So Science and the Mind of the Maker, that title will ring a bell for some of your listeners probably, um, those who are familiar with the work of Dorothy Sayers. So Dorothy Sayers was a theologian and a fiction writer who was a friend, Mm. actually, of C.S. Lewis. And she wrote what became a very famous book in the Christian education community, and the name of her book was The Mind of the Maker. And in that book, she talks about how when we read a work of literature, 
a, a path is opened up, metaphorically speaking, between our mind and the mind of the writer of that work of literature, the maker of the literary art. So it's through their art that the author of a piece of literature communicates something of their own mind to the mind mm -hmm. of their reader. And when I read Sayer's book, I was immediately reminded of a famous statement um, by um, my hero, Johannes Kepler, um, because Kepler mm -hmm. said that when we do science, of course, he didn't use the word science because that word wasn't coined until the 19th century. But he mm -hmm. said when we do natural philosophy, that's what they called it back then, when we investigate mm -hmm. the universe and we discover that it's, it has these elegant mathematical laws, Kepler said we're essentially thinking God's thoughts after him. In other words, we're discovering mm -hmm. something about the rational plan that's behind creation, this plan that has existed from eternity in the mind of God. So I thought it very appropriate mm -hmm. to play off the title of Dorothy Sayers' book, um, Mind of the Maker, um, and that's why my book is entitled Science in the Mind of the Maker. And the central thesis, just to give a nutshell idea, is that there mm -hmm. are several different, very different branches of the natural sciences that when you take them collectively, they seem to reveal that we live in a universe that was custom made for the existence of scientists. So mm -hmm. it's a world that exhibits something that I call cosmic resonance. We see um, this unbelievably beautiful harmony between the mind of the source of all things and the created order and the mind of man. Hmm. Wow. That is, um, that's, that, that, that brings a whole new light to um, why you, um, you know, titled the book in the way that you did, you know, in, in a, society where many times kids are told to kind of shy away from, from science and, um, you know, science is kind of bad and, um, you know, just read the Bible and, but just like you said, it's ultimately the, the, the scientists of old and knew it, um, that believe in God and they were looking for the mind of God. And so it kind of brings a whole new perspective to the natural sciences that I think, um, you know, many don't, uh, or many have abandoned, but, um, it's exciting. I think it makes science so exciting um, to have that that bent, as opposed to the accusation that um, those who are believers are we're just antiquated thinkers, and um, we just want to, you know, just posit everything and just say, you know, God, and we don't want to explore, and we don't. But it, it, you know, like you said, if we're looking for, um, we're trying to discover the mind of our God, then it makes scientific discovery and exploration just that much more exciting to me. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. So you, um, so you'd mentioned um, the special problems that the mathematical um, nature of the universe raises um, for naturalism, and uh, let us uh, tell us more about that. Sure. So it's a very interesting and interconnected set of problems. We have, and these have been discussed by great thinkers for a very long time. It's not a new idea. So one of the problems 
is something called the applicability of mathematics to the natural world. And the idea is that the fact that mathematical systems, which are constructed in the human mind, turn out to be incredibly useful in scientific discovery. And this is remarkable. And the landmark essay on this problem, if listeners are interested in, in Googling it, um, you can read it for free online. Um, this landmark essay was written by an agnostic Hungarian theoretical physicist by the name of Eugene Wigner, and his last name is spelled W-I-G-N-E-R. So if you Google Wigner and applicability of mathematics, you can get free copies of the essay online. So he releases this essay back in 1960, and he said that the fact that mathematics will map on to the natural world in such a precise way that enables us to make such astounding scientific discoveries is not only mysterious, but it borders on the miraculous. And so now here we are 60 years after Wigner wrote this essay, and it turns out mm -hmm. that physicists and philosophers, both theists and non-theists, are still pondering this problem about why mathematics maps onto the physical world with such great depth and precision. Two that um, I often refer to are Dr. Roger Penrose and Dr. Max Tegmark. They're both mathematical physicists who discussed this problem at great length, um, and neither one um, believes in the existence of God. And then we have a Christian by the name of John Polkinghorne. He's a retired physicist, and he, he's now an Anglican priest, and he's written quite a bit about this as well. So we have that mm -hmm. problem, but then a second problem is the fact that human beings have the intellectual capacity to carry out the highly sophisticated mathematics that's involved in scientific fields, such as theoretical physics. And that raises questions in areas such as evolutionary neurobiology as well as the philosophy of mind. So some philosophers have argued, well, if naturalism were true, then mm -hmm. our kind of hum human rationality would actually be impossible. Because if the workings of our minds is merely the result of our neurons operating according to the blind processes of physics and chemistry, there couldn't be any genuine rationality. We wouldn't have um, the free rationality necessary to work through things like advanced mathematics um, and complex logic and then appropriately apply it to our scientific inquiry. Um, so those are two major problems. And it's mm -hmm. interesting that this this isn't a new argument in terms of Christian apologetics by any means. Okay. Because C.S. Okay. Lewis, the same year that Wigner released his essay, C.S. Lewis published the revised edition of his book entitled Miracles. And in that book, he presents something that's referred to as the argument from reason. And it, he, he actually makes the same argument that I just did about um, human rationality being a huge problem for the worldview of naturalism. So our bottom line mm -hmm. question with all that said, I know I'm kind of, um, reciting oh, no. a book here, it sounds like. <laughs> but the, the bottom line question is, why is the cosmos 
so thoroughly rational. And Mm -hmm. not only that, why are there creatures who have the intellect and the free agency that's required for doing science, for uncovering this rational structure of the universe? And naturalism's answers fall very, very short of an explanation, Mm -hmm. while Christian theism offers a very satisfying explanatory paradigm. So Christianity explains beautifully why the universe is is rational and why human Mm -hmm. beings can perceive that rationality. It's because we're made in the image of the creator of all things. So in Mm -hmm. investigating the world that he created, we are, like Johann Kepler said, we are thinking God's thoughts after him. We're seeing just a glimpse into the rationality of God by looking at his handiwork. Um, And again, you hear the echoes of the very argument Dorothy Sayers was making about literary artists. So now I've come full Mm -hmm. circle and I'll stop there. Yeah, well, I can just tell you, I mean, as, you know, as I have been reading through the book, I mean, you definitely flush that out. And so um, I, I just, I encourage readers to get this book because it's a, it's a wonderful argument. Like you said, it's not a new argument, but it's just a wonderful argument in the way that you present it is very um, just well thought out and well reasoned and um, easily accessible. So um, I, I definitely encourage um, people to, to grab this and and get those details, you um, will get so much from that. And um, how much, you know, speaking of that, and those who are going to be getting the book, how much um, of a scientific background would they need um, to follow the arguments? And I can can probably tell you this for myself, but I'll let you answer that. (laughs) Okay, well, I'll answer first, and then I want to hear what you think, too. Mm -hmm. So my (laughs) goal was to keep the book at what I'd call a moderate introductory level. So anyone Mm -hmm. who has had high school courses in like basic physical science and basic biology should be able to understand most, if not all of the information um, in the book and the overall argument. Um, If you've had a couple of college level basic required science courses, I think most, most colleges require you to take like one biology course and maybe an earth science course or something like that. I think Mm -hmm. um, where I went to school, you had to take one chemistry and one biology. And then if you were not a science major, then that was all you had to take as far as sciences. Um, But someone who has had a couple of college level science classes, just the basic stuff um, would do great with Mm -hmm. this book. One of the main reasons I actually agreed to write it and my the path leading up to me agreeing to write this book is a whole funny story in its in its own right. But mm-hmm. one of the reasons I agreed to write it was my ongoing observation that there are so many lay persons in the church, and there are actually so many professional ministers who are either woefully underprepared to discuss the compatibility of science and the central truth claims of Christianity, or else Mm -hmm. they just avoid the topic altogether out of fear or um, out of a desire to avoid talking about things that are 
potentially contentious or divisive. Mm -hmm. And the tragic result, which you hinted at at the very beginning of our conversation, is that there's been a negative impact on the project of evangelism because Christians um, Mm -hmm. are fearful about talking about science and faith, um, interconnectivity, um, or Mm -hmm. they just want to um, want to avoid it altogether and they don't have good answers when someone that they're talking with about the faith brings up the harder questions. So all of that to say, um, no one should be afraid of my book because it talks so much about science. And I I did Mm -hmm. everything I could to make it very, very accessible. Now, with that said, there are passages here and there that are harder than others, that doesn't mean they're hard, hard. It just means some passages you might have to slow down and read a a little more carefully than other passages because of Mm -hmm. the depth that they may go into. But even with that said, if, if someone were to pick up my book and if those certain few passages go completely over their head, which I I really kind of doubt that's going to happen, but if it did, they would still get the the grand gist of the overall argument. Um, I Mm -hmm. hope no one will shy away just because the topic deals with the different natural sciences. Right, and and I'm, you know, I took general science courses. It was never um, my um, passion (laughs) Um, so I took what was required um, in college and, you know, had basic high school, and I can attest that that is, you know, that is accurate. And um, Devin has done a, a lot more in terms of scientific apologetics than myself, and um, which is why when we were discussing interviewing you for this book, I was like, well, shouldn't you kind of interview her? But then as I read the book, I'm like, you know, I can, you know, it it is uh, um, the way that it's written is in such a way that um, a person gets the, the general knowledge of the the of the sciences brought together in a way that's understandable. And so um, I can totally test that anyone should pick up this book and read it, um, whatever your level of um, expertise is in, in the sciences. Um, and it's, you know, again, it's interesting, you know, we go back to, you know, Psalm 19 and the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork day in a day, utter speech. Finding tonight reveals knowledge. There is no speech, no language where their voice is not heard. And, you know, we, we say those verses in church, and we recite those, and um, I remember reciting that as a kid as well. And um, But then we, again, when we shy away from the sciences and we shy away from um, really enjoying and observing the beauty of God's handiwork, I think that we do ourselves a disservice. I think that he is trying to show, he, well, he in fact is showing us his glory, which he tells us in his word. And so this is a, a great tool. I, I you know, as you were you were referring to just pastors and um, how this can this is a a part of ministry that you can use to and there may be someone who is more engaged in in these areas and this is a great way to minister to them is through looking at um, general revelation the observable universe or the the world around us and the universe and and um, using this as a ministry tool. Um, within the church. And so it, I just I just think that we do ourselves a disservice when God has clearly shown us glory in the universe, which I, you make a great case for um, throughout the book and um, in your conclusions as well. Um, so, um, you know, as we know, some of, you know, science and faith topics, they can get contentious and um, div- divisive even within the church. 
Um, what specific approach in this book are you um, intending to take? Okay, so that's a, a question that I get a lot. Um, in the first <laughs> chapter of the book, I outline my particular, what I call my philosophy of science and faith. So I like to use the phrase mere creation. So in the spirit of C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity philosophy of apologetics, okay, that's what inspired me to use this phrase mere creation, um, I encourage readers, um, no matter what creation persuasion they hold to, whether they are an old earth creationist, a young earth creationist, or perhaps even an evolutionary creationist. Okay, so those are broad categories. I'm painting those with broad strokes here. But no matter mm -hmm. which camp they land in, what I do in the first chapter is just invite them to take a big step back from the issues that tend to divide us on the topic of science and faith um, and look at the question of a creator from a cosmic perspective. In other words, mm -hmm. we're just going to transcend these subsidiary issues of the age of the earth and common descent and all these mm -hmm. things. And we're going to ask bigger questions, questions like, do we have compelling reasons to believe that there's a mind behind the universe, a mind that created us in a way to be aware of him. And if we can make a really strong case for that, which is what I try to do in the book, um, if we can show that John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 is highly credible, that the word, the logos, the rationality, um, the divine reason is responsible for the creation we observe, then at that point we've reached a really important stepping stone in conversation with a skeptic, um, a stepping stone that we ha we can't bypass on our way to John 1.14, which tells us that the word then became flesh and dwelt among us. So my mm -hmm. conviction is that the central goal of this whole project of science and faith needs to be to help people become open to considering the existence of God. And if we can get them open to that idea using the kinds of arguments I present in the book, then our next step can logically flow from that in our next idea of the identity of Jesus Christ. So all those secondary issues, the in-house debates that Christians tend to divide mm -hmm. over, um, kind of fade into the background, which I think is a very good thing because I've seen those things become stumbling blocks to belief, and yeah. that is just yeah. tragic. Um, now, with all mm -hmm. that said, I'm not claiming that the secondary issues um, are unimportant. I think they should mm -hmm. be talked about. They're very much in-house discussions that need to be talked about with the utmost charity for one another. But I think we really need just a revolution in the church at large in terms of being able to have a loving attitude towards someone with whom we disagree on these kinds of topics. So that's why I think what I'm calling mm -hmm. the mirror creation approach, which is something we can all join hands on, is a really good way to go, especially when it comes to evangelism.
Right. Yes. I mean, I can just attest just from our ministry um, on the college campus, on a on a very liberal college campus, um, the in-house issues over the, you know, age of the earth, et cetera, it has been a huge stumbling block for uh, many of my students who ha- are coming in, and they don't even, they're, they're trying to get to, does God exist? Um, is there design right. in the universe? Right. And, Things that, and yet they have been so bogged down with these secondary issues in the in their church environment that they haven't even gotten their bigger questions answered. And like you said, they're not. It's not that they're not important issues that we should talk about, but um, we kind of have to start at square one um, with right. some of, with some of these issues, you know, and especially with depending on the audience who we're who we're talking to. Um, now, with this book, um, your table of contents. It's, quite diverse. I mean, you have um, all kinds of um, just various topics here, language of life, um, 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 just habitable, um, habitable and discoverable, a world just for science, a world right just for scientists, um, origin and structure of the cosmos. Um, so you have still a varied um, number of topics. Um, give us a, kind of a general overview of the, the different topics. Sure. So I, after the introduction, which I've talked some about, I kind of lay mm-hmm. out um, the in Chapter 1, it's the Science and Faith Conversation, Understanding the Lay of the Land. And basically what that does is it explains to the reader why these kinds of arguments that I'm about to present are desperately needed in the project of apologetics and evangelism more broadly. Um, and I talk about the philosophy that's at play, because a lot of people don't don't realize if they haven't studied um, science and faith in any depth, that by and large, the kinds of arguments we're dealing with are philosophical. Um, so some of them overlap with theology, but by and large, we're talking about philosophical arguments. A lot of people have this misconception that it's really all about quote-unquote scientific evidence one way or the other when it's not. It's about making philosophical arguments that can include scientific evidence um, as supporting certain parts of the argument, but we can't Mm -hmm. use scientific data to prove or disprove the existence of God. It's it's a little more complicated um, than that. So that's kind of my goal in the first chapter. And then I have several chapters sprinkled throughout that are basically intellectual history chapters. And that's just a fancy way of saying I go way back and then go forward from ancient times to present day discussing some of the major ideas in what we call the Western tradition about the existence of God and what observing nature tells us and what observing um, the nature of man tells us. So I go all the way from ancient Greek thought and then the the last chapter that deals with intellectual history takes us up through um, the physics revolution of the 20th century. So um, guys like Einstein and Max Planck, for example. Um, And those intellectual history chapters are interspersed with 
my chapters that actually deal with specific arguments from different branches of science. So I have a chapter that deals with the design of DNA, for example, and another chapter that talks about how the universe is finite, meaning it had an ultimate beginning, and it's also finely tuned for the existence of life. And then I have a chapter that talks about the habitability of our home planet and all the things that go into making our planet a place where higher intelligent creatures can live, but not just that, a place where higher intelligent creatures can actually carry out science. Um, and some really interesting coincidences involved in that arrangement. Um, I talk some about natural theology in the book, um, a little bit of the okay. history of natural theology or the idea that we can look at nature and see some of the mind of God revealed in what he has made. Um, and then the culmination of the book is where I talk about this, the mathematical nature of the cosmos. And then finally, I talk about um, the rationality of mankind and how it points to the existence of an immaterial soul. So we get from um, arguments leading to the conclusion that a rational creator exists, but before the book is over, we also um, have the very distinct impression based on philosophy and neurobiology that we are creatures that were designed to perceive the creator and what he has made. So um, that rounds it out. Wow, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, what what is your, um, so what do you hope that this book is going to accomplish? So as I said earlier, based on my observations over the years, there's a huge deficiency um, among Christian laypersons, but also among Christian clergy when it comes to being able to have good conversations about science and faith. I also see parents struggle to answer questions that their elementary, middle school, and high school age kids have after hearing um, certain things mentioned in science classrooms in uh, public school or even up into their university years. And these are the kind of people that I want to reach. I want to show them that they can understand scientific arguments um, that have to do with the Christian truth claims, um, that it's not too hard of a topic to delve into at the lay level. And I want to take some of the fear out of this project. And by showing them, hey, there are accessible resources out there that can help you learn to have these kinds of conversations. Um, and then, of course, an issue near and dear to my heart is I would love for parents to um, start gaining more and more of an interest in apologetics, um, not just as related to science, but broadly speaking, so that they're better equipped to raise kids with a confident Christian faith. Wonderful. Well, that's what I hope that it accomplishes as well. And if people get that, I think that, that it will accomplish that. <laughs> um, so uh, how can people get this book, Melissa? It's for oh, sale but, through – it's, um, it's on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Um, the official release date is not until July the 
3rd. Um, I think Amazon has started shipping out some of the pre-orders. Not everybody who pre-ordered it has it yet, but some people do. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I expect that all pre-orders should have it by July the 3rd. So Amazon and Barnes and Noble, as far as I know now, um, and then um, hopefully we'll see it make it to some other retailers, hopefully some brick and mortar stores too. Wonderful. Yes. Um, so go ahead and get your copy. Officially releases on July 3rd, but you can. It is available for pre-order. Um, so what is what's next after after this? <laughs> oh yeah. On? So um, <laughs> I am neck deep in the dissertation process for the next ten months, and that is uh, the biggest project of my life so far. Uh, this writing this book was excellent preparation for taking on a big project. So in that regard, I'm very thankful for the experience that God used it to kind of get me ready um, to be able to sit down and write hundreds of pages. <laughs> so after I defend my dissertation, Lord willing, in April, um, I'll mm -hmm. be working on another book, and that one will probably deal more in depth with the historical episodes involving the interaction of Christianity and the natural sciences. Um, in the meantime, um, I'm about to contribute a chapter to a book entitled The Story of the Cosmos that comes out in one year, comes out July of 2019. And it's an essay collection, actually, with several different authors that your listeners might recognize. So William Lane Craig is contributing a chapter. Um, Luke Barnes, who's an astrophysicist in Australia that specializes in the fine-tuning of the universe. Um, Dr. Holly Ordway, who is a literary scholar. Dr. Michael Ward, who's a C.S. Lewis scholar. Um, and then we have an astronomer from the Vatican contributing a chapter, which I think is really cool. Um, so yeah. it's going to be a really, a really neat essay collection and my chapter will deal with um, the mathematics of the universe and what I'm calling a Keplerian natural philosophy or um, an approach to science and faith that's um, based upon the spirit of Johann Kepler's famous statement of thinking God's thoughts after him. So that'll be fun. Um, but oh, beyond that, I do, I, you know, I can't look beyond those things. <laughs> That's like the <laughs> the twelve month plan right now. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I was saying briefly earlier, just um, maybe to share about uh, just the whole topic of women and apologetics, because I think this is very inspiring for many of us who, um, as women, we don't think that that the apologetics world or the science world or um, the philosophy world, the theology world is, is for us, and that that is sometimes that's based on just misunderstanding scripture or, or something of that nature. But sometimes it's just a, you know a, just in kind of a culture in the church or a mis, um, you know just or just doubting our, ourselves and our abilities. So um, talk about you know just the positives of having women engage in apologetics and engage in these discussions um, in general and maybe encourage our listeners um, who uh, may want to dive in. Okay. So I think that Christians would all agree that when God made us, when God made human beings, 
he made us male and female to complement each other. And Mm -hmm. because we are so complementary to each other, man and woman, we can conclude from that that we bring good, different, complementary perspectives to the table when it comes to any subject, whether it's theology or philosophy or apologetics or science. And so mm-hmm. a, a woman can come to the table and bring a perspective that maybe the men hadn't thought of before and vice versa. So when we come together, we get a much richer experience of whatever the discipline happens to be. So um, one of the um, great statements that came out of the Women in Apologetics Conference at Biola University last January was, um, women need apologetics, but apologetics needs women. And Mm. the reason I just gave is one of um, the big ones for that. Um, But I would also say that apologetics, philosophy, and theology um, are necessary for women in terms of being able to have a more confident faith, being able to more fully participate in the project of evangelizing the world um, when you're among people who have, you know, a higher educational background. Um, and then also for the women out there who are called to motherhood, those, those women need to be equipped to raise kids with a confident faith, especially if their kids are in a day-to-day environment, maybe they're in a public school um, where their Mm -hmm. faith gets challenged on a regular Mm -hmm. basis, or maybe the kids go off to a secular university where their faith is challenged. Um, And to have moms in particular who spend a whole lot of time with their kids being able to train and mentor their children in the rational side of the faith is priceless. Um, so mm-hmm. um, for all of those reasons, um, I would encourage women to rethink the misconceptions out there about theology and philosophy and apologetics being a man's domain, because those domains will suffer in our absence. They need our perspective. And that's you know, a big part of this whole male-female relationship that God created um, because we have different talents and um, different ideas that we can bring to the discussion. That's great. That is um, so encouraging. And, again, I I see it on the campus um, and with children raised in Christian homes, and I can attest that, um, you know, for mothers um, and for non-mothers, that it is, um, this is so important, and this is, um, we're just, the, the world that we're living in, they, their faith will be challenged, <laughs> for sure. Um, oh, yeah. But also, again, like you said, in the church, um, just, um, seeing ourselves um, as a part of the church and as a part of the ministry of the church is so important. Um, and so um, it's, and do that just I hope that that encourages someone and you know if you have any questions you know reach out to me and I can maybe point you to um, people like Melissa or somewhere to get started um, but we do have a link um, up um, on our uh, on the, this episode where you can um, order Melissa's book I definitely encourage it 
And I think that you will not regret um, uh, picking this up. I think you will actually not be able to put it down. So <laughs> that's how, how good of a read it is um, that, it, that it was for me. Um, Melissa, any closing thoughts that you'd like to share? Let me see. I just want to encourage anyone out there who might still be feeling a measure of hesitation and fear about jumping in, embracing the intellectual side of the faith. Um, We're Mm -hmm. commanded to love God with everything we are, including our minds. Um, And it can only bring glory to God when we seek to understand the world he has made at an even deeper level and see how well it connects to his inspired word in the scripture. So um, don't be afraid. That's, That's my final closing message. Amen. Deeper faith, and it does not—it's um, not about putting God in a box. Because I—I I find the more that I study, the more I dig, the more that I learn um, in different areas of my research, and that the bigger that God becomes to me, He doesn't become any smaller to me at all. And um, not that that's possible, but you know, we're talking about the infinite Creator of the universe. So digging and learning is is not in any way any hindrance to to. Um, to the, the creator of the universe, and he he desires for us to know him intimately um, in all ways. And so this is, um, if, if nothing else, I think that you will get that um, from the book, is um, that this is a, a, an opportunity to know the mind of the maker, to know your creator, just to know the one that who's the lover of our souls. Um, and so that is um, ultimately the goal for, for people to know him and to know him deeply. So, Melissa, I thank you so much for all the time and work that you put into um, putting this book together and for it being a resource to the body of Christ, which I know it will be for many, many years to come. And um, thank you for your uh, faithful stewardship and for, for your sacrifices. And we really, really appreciate you. Oh, thanks for that. Thank you for taking your time out and having me on the show today. Absolutely. Anything that we can do um, to support your ministry, we are always here. So we appreciate you so very much. Hope you have a um, beautiful day with your family. (laughs) All right. Thank you. You too. God bless. Well, folks, that was um, a wonderful interview. As I told you, it would Um, definitely be power packed a lot of great things to chew upon and to to dig through and to think through Um, I again can't not recommend science in the mind of the maker enough um, for you to go ahead and order on um, on pre-order on Amazon and you can find the link here again um, in this show description and on our Facebook page at Theology Matters um, with the Palouse and we will be back with you next week with another guest with another topic Um, until then keep digging and studying um, keep um, learning about um, the mind of God and um, we pray that you grow deeper closer to him than you ever have before God bless you have a wonderful wonderful evening